Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. Celebrating, if you will. That's right. Five. I, I yelled that too loud. I was very excited. Five years. <laughs> yes. Um, five years. Every time we talk about this, I just like the, I hear David Bowie in my head saying five years. Uh, instead of David Bowie, I'm going with a uh, Bo Burnham. Mm, okay, fair. Yeah. But uh, I tell you what, folks, uh, if you've been following any part of our journey up until this point, it has been quite a ride. Uh, we have never, um, never had the same advantage of, say, some of these celebrity podcasters that already have a following. We've... We've had to earn each and every one of your trust through just good content and hopefully a steady stream of it. And we just, uh, mm-hmm. we've really appreciated the journey so far. Yes, from sitting at a table with microphones kind of clipped to the desk. Yep. Um, to changing those microphones, to changing the microphones again, to doing things remotely, to doing things off a soundboard. I mean, it's definitely evolved for the last five years. I think my favorite part of the evolution is is creating the recording space that we're in now. It feels cozy. It feels nice. You know, there's, you can't see, you who are watching can't see, but uh, the whole walls, all of them, all four of the walls have things surrounding them. So, um, we could yell and make, you know, loud noises in here, and it's not going to bounce off the wall. So no. it's definitely a nice, yeah, setup. But it was, it was very modest beginnings that we started with. I mean, it was our mutual love of music and uh, need to escape real life. Yes, I suggested, hey, we should do a podcast, and my original thought was, um, and and legitimately my first thought in doing a podcast was like having discussions around random things. So when you're driving at night and you have your headlights on, um, a lot of cars now have two sets of lights, uh, right? So like fog lights and regular lights, but the fog lights are a switch so you can turn them off. But people will be driving around at, uh, you know, 10 o'clock at night on a clear crystal night with these four sets of lights shining in your face. I'm just like, why? why, why I couldn't understand why. My yeah. brain didn't think about that. So I was like, let's have a discussion. Let's do a podcast based on random nothingness like that. And my original reaction to that idea was, man, that's stupid. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we got half of that. We did the podcast, but just not on the stupid stuff. Oh no, I, I I came around before too long because I just didn't understand how much fun listening to podcasts, making a podcast could be, and you know when you get um when you get your own mortality brought up in front of you, it's a motivator, and that's why our first episode was about the death of Chris Cornell because mm-hmm. he affected our lives very dramatically and. Um, we loved his music and, and that was, that was a hard loss. That was kind of, uh, for us, like losing Elvis was for my, my dad, I guess. Yeah. That, that era was what we grew up in and some of the biggest stars from that era were already gone. 
and we had seen him go from our one of our favorite bands, which was Soundgarden, of course, and then he created another band um, from another band that was one of our favorites. You know, mm-hmm. he had some Audio Slave for a while, uh, but he was going strong, and Soundgarden had kind of you know gotten back together and was making some music again, and then gone. So yeah. like it was just a shock to the system. Yeah, for was. sure. But we didn't want to dwell on the negative even though there's been several episodes over the course of five years where we have lamented the loss of somebody particularly special or just talked about some of the people that have impact on a lot of people's lives that were lost we wanted to talk about things that bound us together things that were fun we wanted to talk to people that made those things Um, i know one of uh, the early guests and if you've looked at the artwork for our podcast uh, you will you will maybe recognize the style. We had the legendary Larry Elmore on early on. That was that was a treat. And uh, you know him, he lives in Kentucky, right? Kind of growing up, what he did from uh, creating artwork for the army mm-hmm. to like actually creating artwork for um, fantasy stuff all throughout his, you know, 80s and 90s, right? Like, when yeah. I say fantasy stuff, I mean, it was just, like, books and cards and, like, a little bit of everything. He had so much. He was actually on a couple of different episodes. But if you want to catch the beginning of that, go back to uh, to the first season, uh, episode 24. You can get some great stuff from just a, an amazing artist, and he was great. Uh, and then just right after that, we... I felt like we got really lucky again and got to talk to just a stuntman that has been in so much, somebody you would recognize often if you're our age and saw a lot of films and was even in a comic book film that never saw the light of day. We had uh, Carl, I can't talk, Carl Chiofarlio, and uh, he, he had some great stories. Yes, um, kind of moving his time through the industry, uh, having a discussion about what he thought was his, hey, this is my starring role in, in a film uh, about the Fantastic Four um, that most likely no one has seen. You can still find it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, but it was never you know, put out in theater. That wasn't a time for it to be out on uh, a home video thing, so it was just buried in a reel somewhere there's a whole documentary on it if you liked i think it's on amazon at the moment but uh our first guest where i i got starstruck maybe Mm. was when we had somebody that again just had an impact on me probably had a similar impact on you just with the the productions that he was involved with Mm -hmm. on smaller roles uh, was the amazing Stephen Tobolowski. Uh We had him on back on the 29th episode of the first season. Uh, from his car in a parking garage, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. It was some amazing audio quality. But then again, we still had our early microphones back then. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and the fact that we could do something over the phone at that point in time still um, is kind of interesting because that really wasn't how the how we were intending to do things a phone call from someone and recording it and having that conversation live yeah uh, it sounds like a pretty basic thing but when you have like 
no true recording equipment, it uh, it's challenging. It's challenging. Yep. Yeah. Now, what I think would be really interesting now is if we just gave everyone a little taste. If you haven't been with us this entire time, uh, to just go back to fade back in Scooby Doo style. You know that little the illusory uh, change in the screen, the watermarking, whatever you want to call it. We want to go back to just a small snippet of talking to Mr. Tobolowski and some rather interesting musical connection that he had back in the day. Well, we never know how greatness will turn out, nor how mediocrity will turn out. You know, we, you know I've lived through several ages in which medi- mediocrity has been held up as the, the gold standard. Hmm. And, and the thing about greatness is you have to have people who recognize uh, the difference between the great and the not so great. So I, I was 19, Stevie Ray was 14. The, the way it worked was we, our group cast of thousands, we were terrible. We were, we were <laughs> not very good. We had one person in the group who really could play instruments and that was Bobby Foreman, uh, one of the heads of the group, who ended up playing in the new Christie Minstrels. I mean, Bobby is one of these guys. Talk about where did he get his influence. Mm. He was one of these people who could play any instrument in the world. He could play a violin. He could play a cello. He could play the guitar like crazy. He could play the drums, the bass. He could sing. He's a real musical talent. So... Based on his skills, we were picked as one of the uh, five garage bands to be highlighted in Dallas for an album. And each band would get to play two songs on the album. And then the band members, like Girl Scout Cookies, we would sell the album door to door. (laughs) There was no distributor for this record. It was called The New High. H-I. And none of us knew it was about marijuana. None of us knew that that this title was somehow drug-related because we grew up in Texas where nobody, nobody smoked any marijuana. You know, we thought a new high was was going to be the new Ferris wheel at the State Fair of Texas. (laughs) We had no idea. So anyway, we're on our way to the studio and Bobby is saying, well, I've asked some kids from the neighborhood to play on the band to play in the band with us because we had no drummer. So we got Chris Lingwall. We, we uh, got our bass player. We, we got a lead guitarist. Uh, and so we're on the way over there. I said, well, well who, who, who are these guys? He says, well, you know, I got Stevie Vaughn from the neighborhood. He's, he's a kid. His brother Jimmy plays too. And I go, Stevie, I, I, where does he live? And Bobby told me. And I go, I go, well, who is I don't know anything about him. He says, well, he's 14 years old. I go, Bobby, what? He's 14 years old? Bobby, we don't need any 14-year-old kid playing guitar on our music. I mean, we could play our own guitars. We're not like the monkeys. And and uh, to which Bobby turned around and said, Stephen, shut up. This kid is so good, he's going to make us seem like we know what we're doing. <laughs> and so we go in there, and Stevie was uh, sitting on a metal folding chair with his big Gibson in his lap. And he goes, uh, hey, guys, so uh, you want to play for me your song so uh, I could kind of see what I'm supposed to do? And so we started playing our first song, Red, White, and Blue. 
and we played really about seriously, not exaggerating, about eight seconds of it. And Stevie goes, okay, 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 stop, stop, stop. I got it. I got it. So this is kind of a crappy song. So what if I were to do like a crappy lead and then kind of go into a good lead? And we go, sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> and and, uh, and so uh, let, me see if, let me see if I can, I don't know if I can engineer this for you guys. Uh, I think I have a sound file on the old days. You know, we all stood around the microphones and we, everybody played and sang. We did the master that way. There was no separation, no drums, no nothing. I mean, nothing was separated out. It was just a big old party. And then they go to Stevie and they go, okay, son, do you want to do a lead? And Stevie did, uh, Stevie did, uh, his crappy lead into a good lead and let me see if i could get this up for you guys see if you could hear this let me go over here and see system preferences let me see if i can do the sound and let's see if my son robert fixed this up no i don't think he did let me see if i could do this okay so let me see if i can uh see if you could hear this okay you guys you guys okay for oh, yeah. Stevie here? Yeah. Okay, let's see if you can hear this. Okay, now, um, let me turn up the volume here. Okay. Output volume, okay. So let's see if I can do this. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely a, a, a very good. We we heard it. I don't know if it's going to come through on the other end. Yeah, but, we, we can hear it, <laughs> and I could hear it exactly the spot that you were describing. It's like oh, I'm going to yes. play like this, and then I'm going to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But but anyway, it was amazing, and everybody, the the grown ups who were there supervising, they were amazed. They were amazed at what they saw at how brilliant this kid was. And we all saw it, and we all knew it. And it's true. Uh, I had a friend of mine, Bob Darnell, 
and he said that there's a difference between honesty and truth, that honesty you could beat people over the head like a bludgeon with, but truth, once people see it, it changes everything. And that's what Stevie was. Yeah. When he played, you knew it was the real thing, and you could never... <laughs> You can never unhear it. You can never unsee it. And what an interesting snippet. Now, uh, remember we said that he was in a parking garage. Yes, he was. And then he was able to pull up that audio from his phone and then play it for us from his phone through his phone. (laughs) So, obviously, it, it was a recording from a long time ago. So, just keep that in mind post hearing the recording, but still, uh, the fact that he could reference it and he had it saved was pretty amazing. Well, I think I would have saved that too, because man, that was crazy. Now, whenever you're going to be newer in the podcasting you know, circles, unless you've done a great deal of research or you just already know people that have been doing this, or you were a journalist, or you've got the connections, you're going to face some interesting hurdles, trying to get guests, trying to come up with ideas to talk about. Um, But sometimes you will just strike gold. Um, And one of the things that we tried to do, especially early on, we had to stop for a little while when things went crazy with some viruses and some things that happened. But we started trying to go to several conventions and uh, talk to people and uh, do things. And in one of the conventions that occurred, in the first year of our podcast, when I visited the beautiful state of Ohio, uh, I was able to actually corner somebody that's been, again, in a bunch of stuff that we've loved over the years, whether they're comic-related or not. I mean, the the movie Scrooged, having him and having uh, this actor in it, what he had uh, the pivotal villain ro- well, basically the pivotal villain role, mm-hmm. and uh you know, I watched Smallville for years, and he is Lionel Luther. He'll always be Lionel Luther. And we actually got a chance to talk to John Glover while he was at the convention. And which convention was this one again? I'd rather not say because I kind of got in trouble because I wasn't supposed to do this. <laughs> oh, mm, shame on you. I, I learned my lesson, and I never did it again. But, you know, that's what I was talking about. Sometimes you have to learn things the hard way. Mm. And, uh, you know, I thought it made sense. You know, you talk to the right people, and then you see if they're amicable, and you make sure you don't get in the way. You don't get in the way of anybody making any money. But there's still protocol. And I just I didn't know. <laughs> and the more you know, the more you grow. Insert uh, the star flying across the screen. That's no, right. No. Um but yes, let's, let's listen, listen. Let's, let's listen to the soothing sounds of Raul. Wait, it's not Raul, no. Well, but no, it's uh, it's the soothing sounds of John Glover as he talks just a little bit about how his acting experiences changed uh, through just dealing with other people that influenced the way that he saw things in acting. Now, specifically, I saw that you studied under uh, Milton Catellus. Catellus. Yeah. So. Every actor has their own particular approach yeah. to the craft. Uh-huh. How do you think that he influenced how you progressed as an actor? Well, well, I, I didn't, 
I didn't start studying with him until I was uh, maybe in my late 50s or early 60s. Ah. Um, and what happened was I, I had a long, long career uh, in New York and around the country in theater. And when I went out to L.A. Uh, this in the 80s, I started making a lot of films and making a lot of money. And I kind of got sucked into a trap of, uh, of making money. So my work got a little lazier, and, and I stopped, uh, I, I sort of closed up shop a bit, uh, because my focus changed from storytelling to money making, which is a trap, a big trap. When you, when you act, you, you don't make a lot of money sometimes, sometimes you do. And I realized that I had, I had lost some of my drive. And I'd heard about this teacher for a long, long time, about how good he was. And I was afraid to go into an acting class, because I'd never had one before, and I was embarrassed to, to be, I guess, critiqued in front of other actors. But I knew that I had to. So I trusted him and went in and started doing scene work and got my mojo back. But so, so what I realized was that the, the money part, as important as it is to live, can't be the singular focus, that it has to be about doing the work, telling the story, and enjoying the work, and working hard. So I got back to work. Now that gentleman is just a gem. I mean, if you've ever seen an interview with him, he's always really kind, really gracious. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I already loved his work, and after I met him, I just loved him even more. Um, he's, he's, he's kooky and a lot of fun. Now, this was not a convention that you were able to join us at, unfortunately. No. But what was something from that first season, all the things that we did, that still sticks with you, that, uh, that was just part of our learning process of doing things? Well, I know we tried to do recording through a uh, MacBook that I had. And there was a couple interfaces that we tried and they worked, but not great. Um, so as much as it stinks and much as it, you hate to say it, is that if you want to do, if you want to do the recording the proper way, you do have to spend a little money. Now, if it's just you, right, by yourself, and you're going to talk to yourself about stuff, you don't need much. No. You really don't. Good if microphone. You wanna, if you want to have a conversation with someone else, and then you want to bring a third party who is somewhere else, or even if you want to do a third party who is right there with you, yeah, you need better stuff. Um, not just mics, um, stuff that you plug the mics into, and then a nice interface to uh, record and manage those things. So that was the fun that we really encountered, um, especially trying to like even put it on things like Twitch, for example. Oh yeah. And um, we might try that again in the future. I don't think with Twitch, but we'll try with a, a different platform. Maybe yeah, YouTube. Definitely. Well, knows? we're going to continue with YouTube because we still have some very interesting interviews that came out in audio format. We've got the video, we just hasn't haven't released them yet mm -hmm. uh, because. On top of it, talking about getting the right uh, equipment, getting the right software to be able to edit. Because even though he's got the skill, you got to have something that will take the skill and do something with it. 
and now he has it. Monies. <laughs> that too, right? <laughs> now, at that same convention, I was actually able to talk to Elena Huffman. One other person. Yeah, well, more, Two other more than that. I actually talked to the, the gentleman that, that essentially runs the convention, and that was a great conversation too. But, uh, you know, more people will recognize who Elena Huffman is mm. in, in that. You know, just, again, uh, just a wonderful actress, uh, a sweetheart that was – kind enough to share some time and and tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that she's done and 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 things like that that was in the 49th episode that we had in the first uh, season and that is by no means the only good stuff we had in the first season i mean it was really hard to come up with these highlights because uh, i feel like most of the stuff that we did is just really good stuff i mean most seasons we have the full 52 episodes there's a couple there's not, but uh, that's just a lot of things to remember and discuss, oh, yeah. you know, 50 times five. We're going to overlook some fantastic actors and actresses and coaches and um, creators, creators, who have done yeah. artwork or um, wordsmithing, oh, or yeah. combining the two things together. You know, we, we talk to anybody that we think is interesting and we have talked to some very interesting people Mm -hmm. um Mm. so we wanted to continue our steamroll or maybe spring roll more of a spring roll going Mm. from season one to season two um and i felt like i was able to get get lucky again um at a different convention somehow also in ohio (laughs) It's a different city in Ohio, but... Uh, Which city, Ken? That would have been Columbus, Ohio. Um, the Origins Convention. Uh, gaming, very nice convention. They do a good job every year. Um, most gaming conventions don't have a lot of guests from the film industry, but occasionally they get a few, and they're really interesting when they do come in. Mm-hmm. And being the giant dork that I am and having... A uh, distinct love of uh, Buffy, the Vampire Slayer television show, and Angel back in the day, seeing that Amber Benson was going to be one of the individuals that was going to be there, we were able to get a chance to talk to her, and that was just fantastic. And she's not just an actor, but an, an author, and has some great stuff to say. That was uh, early on in our second season, the ninth episode. Yeah. Um, now I know you. You often have more of a connection in terms of, you know, I I, I look in the the film and and, uh, that kind of industry. That's where I go. But a lot of times you find, uh, either find people or or like to talk to the more real life kind of people. Mm -hmm. Who do you think is somebody that was a lot of fun in the second season? Um, Was there somebody that we just talked to once or maybe had on a few times? Someone that we haven't had on recently. Indeed. Give him a chat to see what's going on. Mr. Delvin Cox from the Delvin Cox Experience. Yeah, he was he's a he's a really fun person to talk to. Just uh a good dude and has a lot of um a lot of fun information to share and, and different questions to ask. That's the other nice thing. You talk to other podcasters. He always has his five questions that he asks and then he changes them when he talks to us. Well, the nice thing, too, is that he already kind of had a network established, which allowed us to speak with other folks in various different types of things. And 
over the seasons, we talked to him on multiple occasions about um, a few different things. A lot of times it was about uh, movies for sure, uh, but there were definitely other things that we chatted about. Um, he's in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. And we should chat with him now because there's a couple of Miami-based sports teams that are um, crushing it right now. Water polo? No water polo. Well, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I could be wrong. Maybe the University of Miami has got a stellar water polo team. I just don't know. But the uh, the Panthers mm. uh, in hockey land will probably go to the Stanley Cup. And then the Heat in the NBA also will go to the... NBA Finals, so pretty exciting for that town. Yeah. Um, now I'm more of a I'm not a sports guy. I'm more of a comic geek. Mm. Um, so anytime that we get to have anybody from the comic book industry in here, whether it's somebody's creating their own comic or uh, doing it independently, Kickstarter, whatever, or somebody that's been in the industry, that's always exciting. And I, I gotta say, I got super excited when we actually were able to have on Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, if you are familiar with Harley Quinn, uh, the more, not the original like cartoon version, but the more recent iterations from the comics and, uh, 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 just he's, he's done such a variety of different characters over the years. Um, the pro is a series that he's known for. That was really good. His wife, uh, does the artwork. Uh, and she is so talented. Um, they're just such a great pair. And he actually was able to stop by the show on our 39th episode in the second season. Um, in fact, um, this was right around the time that we absolutely massacred uh, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey when we did the movie review. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have done that review because I thought the movie was going to be so bad. I've never seen it before. Oh, oh, maybe that. I just wanted to pull you in so I wasn't the only one <laughs> that, uh, that, yeah. that bombed it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would like, I wouldn't like to watch it. Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, Jimmy does share a lot of his content. Um, through things like Instagram, and he'll just throw covers that he's created on there. Gorgeous. Um, just great interpretations of things. Plus, he's a comic book collector himself. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And he throws a lot of info up there about some things he's had, like PSA graded uh, from his comic book collection. So he's yeah. definitely a comic book uh, a specialist, let's call it. You know, we always joke. I, I, I say that it was uh, that we tore it apart. Now, we always remind people that this the viewing of films is, is a highly subjective sort of a thing. And my dislike of the film does not make a film a bad film, obviously. And even if the vast majority of people think a film is a bad film, it's a Herculean effort to put a film together. And, uh, you know, you should definitely appreciate that kind of dedication to making a story that we all get to share. That being said. <laughs> well, that being said, what we're going to play for you now is a little snippet from Jimmy where he talks about kind of being involved in the in the premiere for that film and how he thought they did in terms of um, their interpretation of the character. No, it was great. We were invited out by Warner Brothers and DC Comics to the uh, Birds of Prey premiere. And um, so we got to walk the yellow carpet 
because the birds obviously had to have their own color carpet. Nice. Um, we got to see the film in a big IMAX theater. And then we uh, went to the after party with all the stars and the people behind the film. And then the next day we went and they had a pop-up roller skating rink, a Harley Quinn-themed roller skating rink that we went to. So it was a, a fun couple of days, although Amanda managed to pick up a cold. It was a little cold in London. We're in Florida, so there is a difference. Um, but it was a fun, really fun trip. We had a great time. Have you ever been to London before, or is this your first trip? It's like my fifth trip to London. I used to go see my buddies like Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon and all those guys there. And then um, two years ago, we did the MCM Con, which was uh, like the uh, Reed uh, Con, like the New York Con of London. And that was our first time we did a convention there. So I've been there plenty of times. It's 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 a wonderful, beautiful place with a a great sense of uh, history. It's It's like the difference between London and New York is the buildings in London have been there for hundreds of years. New York, everything's kind of new, right? Mm. Um, uh, so there's a lot of history in London. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful town. Uh, nice people. I, you know, unlike when I travel, I didn't have to learn another language, you know? Uh, so that was kind of easy going. Well, that kind of depends on which section of England you're in, but. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we, we saw Grant Morrison while we were there, and, and Grant has a bit of an accent, so... Uh, and he speaks low, so you know I kind of had to fine tune what he was saying. But uh, the more you hang out with him, the more you get it. You know, it's it's he has a certain beat to the way he speaks. What did you think of Birds of Prey in general? Did, was it everything that you hoped it would be? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, Amanda and I loved it. We we got to say that. Um, you know, Christine that wrote it uh, really did her research. Her and Margot. Really, uh, you can tell they read all our books. There is so much stuff in there, besides Bernie the Beaver. I mean, there's so much stuff in the way Harley acts and um, the way she reacts to things and then the situation that's going on. And the movie had this kinetic energy to it that was um, very different from other superhero films. I got to say it was more obviously more adult since it's rated R. Um and it, and it kind of goes places you don't think it's going to go. Um, and it has this energy. It has this, like, kinetic, real kinetic energy to it. Um, I was going to say Kirby crackle to it, but it's it's less <laughs> Kirby, more just more like um, a momentum to it. That uh, where a lot of other superhero movies are very, like, organized and trying to get everything in a row and have big reveals and everything. This feels like a Harley Quinn comic. It feels, you know, like everything's out of control. Things are going from crazy to crazier. And then with the Birds of Prey thrown in, it just... it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's going to be really interesting because I think on some levels it might be polarizing, especially if people are expecting like a Marvel Comics type movie, you know, where it's this... It is, it is its own thing. Like the Joker was its own thing. This is its own thing. And... um for me, a person who sees too many movies, I appreciated that it went and said, okay, this we're not Batman, and, and it's not Aquaman, and it's not the X-Men. It's the Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn. So it should have its own. So I kind of appreciated it for that. Um, and then talking to Christine and Margot after the movie, um, we talked about you know how they read all the comics that we did and, and how we saw it on the screen. Little nuances, little... Things Harley does that 
we were just laughing out loud in the theater when we saw it. So uh, overall, we both loved it. Now, that was enlightening to get a perspective from a creator and kind of see how he feels the impact was on a film and how he feels the the, the average consumer kind of sees it. It's, it's, it's good stuff. I'll tell you what, you keep with that interview. It His stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Nice dude. Um, now, uh, you know who isn't a nice dude, but is still somehow uh, a part of your favorite film. Uh, that's that's Godzilla. Godzilla. Mm, Godzilla. Now, if only we were talking about the more <laughs> current version, oh. uh, not the one that had uh, Jimmy Page and uh, Diddy in the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, this that was intended to be a segue, uh, a clever segue. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't. It was really uh, clunky and kind of uh, awkward. But that's the way that I get when I talk to people that I am particularly enamored with and impressed and you can kind of get an example of that when i talked to dean devlin the creator of stargate the creator of independence day the creator of leverage and leverage redemption and the librarians this this dude who i just absolutely love and so you know maybe get a little starstruck and there's only a few things that you mentioned there but the list of his creations is much much longer much greater than that and to have to have the chance to have that discussion with someone who does so much of that creation process, right? And uh, I I think it's pretty interesting because you could ask him about nothing more than the stuff that he did twenty years ago, and you could talk about nothing more than the stuff that he's done in the last few years, honestly, and you could have immensely long conversations about those, whether it's him trying to he's funding all his stuff now right and he wrote all the stuff before so how did he start right like, there's just so many points of interest and so many cool things that were kind of part of our youth growing up that he was a part of creating right. and he's got so much stuff we've had him on a couple of different times and he's he's been excellent each time and because he is part of these blockbuster series i felt it very important to instead talk to him about one of my favorite films that i had as a kid and that's what we're going to play you a little snippet from uh from uh like i said episode 51 where he talks a little bit about his involvement with one of my favorite films of all time real genius you were in a fantastic little 80s movie uh, called Real Genius. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yes, I have seen that a number of times. And ever since, uh, I, ever since that day, any time I would see the name Dean Devlin associated with anything, okay? You were, you were a member of the cast that I really enjoyed. I've got to see it. And then when you went over to the other stuff, it's just, it's just always been really enjoyable. You know, the, the cinematographer of Real Genius was Vilmos Zygmunt. Oh. You know, most people would never think of him as the, as the DP of that, that movie, but he was. Now, I'm only going to have one question about that movie, and this is just to settle a little internal thing that I've had for a number of years because I've seen it so many times. There's a single scene in that movie that has what appears to be a very famous actor walk by the camera. I don't know if you have the answer to this or not. But um, it very much looks like Tom Hanks has one frame that he walks by in the film. <laughs> and somebody pressured me to ask. 
Not not that I'm aware of. I mean, I had a very unusual thing on that movie in that I had I had screen tested for the lead role. Not not Val Kilmer's part, but Gabe's part. Oh. And they had actually told me that I had the part. So I spent 24 hours celebrating only to get a call saying, um, they're actually going the other way. I was like, what? <laughs> and the director felt so bad, uh, 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 Martha Coolidge, she actually hired me on the movie as what she called an improv actor. So she would just shove me onto the set at various times and tell me to go improv my way into the scene. So I spent three months working on the movie. It was a great job. Of course, 99% of all those hidden props ended up on the editing room floor. Well, that happens a lot, I'm sure, but, in most productions. But it was it was a really fun experience. That's too cool. No, I will not speak about, I will not speak his name. We're talking, of course, about a certain actor who shows up in all the good stuff. Some of the movies that, uh, well, one in particular that Mr. Devlin was a part of the creation about. We're speaking, of course, about a movie called Godzilla um, and an actor. Never mind, because we're not going to talk about it. We already had an episode where we debated this. Correct. Now, if we carry on with Mr. Dean Devlin, and you mentioned one of the shows that uh, he was a strong part of creating, a Leverage, and then now Leverage Redemption, who was one of the main characters, main actors who showed up in those series? Well, the character's name is Elliot Spencer. Ooh, and who was that? Played by Christian Kane. Mmm. So, kicking off season number three was an interview that Ken got to do with Mr. Christian Kane. Um, and in terms of our YouTube presence, although small. Um, this video is the top viewer views, yeah. top, top number of views of any of the things that we have posted. Definitely so. And you'll see a little snippet of him talking about the time with the amazingly talented uh, uh, Andy Hallett, who played Lauren on Angel and some of their musical um, experiences together. Yes, he is quite a guitar smith, if you will. Yes, he is. So, you know, the first time I was exposed to your music was actually in Angel, the the episode that uh, in, in character. I think a lot of people. All right. Yeah, a lot of people. There were a lot of musically talented people around that particular cast. And one thing that occurred to me that I always wanted to ask, and I had never been able to be in a position, uh, unfortunately, the, the fan, fantastic uh, Mr. Hallett is no longer with us. Did you ever oh. get a chance to perform with any of your castmates, uh, uh, do anything like that? It's tough to talk about Andy, man, because I miss him every day. Um, here's the gig, you know, and I'll blow your mind if you want to go see it. So, uh, so me and Andy never really collaborated and stuff like that, but you know, he was, we, I, I had just barely come back on the show and, uh, and then, but, but I worked a lot with James Marshall, and who's a very good friend of mine, still played Spike. Uh, and we do a lot of conventions and stuff to this day, still together. We were just in Australia not too long ago. Um, James would come. James would come. He had this little cigarette case. It was a Marlboro Light cigarette case, but it wasn't. It wasn't cigarettes. They had turned it into a little amplifier. There was a plug and a speaker, but it was the size of it was put into a cigarette box. Nice. He would come into my trailer and we would plug in, and me and him would sit in the trailer in our off time and just play guitar out of this little bitty amp. 
built like a cigarette uh, box. Uh, it was fantastic. And so we got to play a lot, and we played together at different venues throughout the years. But we went to um, FedCon in Munich, Germany. And, uh, and there's two great stories about this, and I'll tell you the first one. I've told it before. You'll love it. Uh, I was riding in the elevator, and I was going up. And, of course, it's Star Trek, and we were doing some other stuff. We had a show in, in, in Germany. And we said, well, let's just go to FedCon. And FedCon said, just come in. If you want to set up and, and, and shake hands and sign autographs, it's great. So we did. And uh, I was riding up in the elevator. And um, I forgot how to say his name. Well, let me tell you this story first. So, so we, we played a show that night. And, um, and Andy Hallett, I asked him to get up. And so Andy got up and we sang two songs. One of them was Sweet Home Alabama. And if you go look at it, it's in Munich, Germany. It's me and Andy Seaman, Sweet Home Alabama, at FedCon in Germany, and uh, and it was a, and it was a fantastic time. And literally, that was the last time I saw it was when we were on stage together singing Sweet Home Alabama, and then uh, got the news he passed a little bit uh, shortly later. You know, you just you never know, man. You never know. So just good stuff. I mean, you can. Clearly, see, he's still emotional about because of the impact that Andy had on all those around him that he worked with, and just some good stories and and excellent things. I feel like the se- the third season is where we really kind of started to pick up some steam. Well, speaking of having an impact on those around you, something happened around that time. I can't think of anything. <laughs> what what could it possibly be? Uh, it was a chance for us to practice our remote recording that's right and uh this little product called zoom became very popular across the world at that point in time and that's how a lot of the interviews during this particular season were actually created uh whether it was from you know from my perspective in the mazda studios or (laughs) Um, from Ken's perspective, you know, chilling out in the living room right. or, uh, you know, we, when you get a chance to talk to some of these people, uh, just making sure that your backdrop doesn't look like a, a hot mess because of all of the clothes and trash and stuff that's sitting in the background. <laughs> and when you get to speak to someone on the level of, oh, I don't know, Ed Asner, You've you've got to have your practice and you got to be in in place. You've got to give your voice to something from the tit of the populace. Well, with Ed, Mr. Asner, I guess I should say, who um, passed along a couple of years ago now. Um, he's such a legend. I mean, really, what am I going to say? What kind of a, an interview am I going to lead? Uh, I felt like uh, I felt like I was. It's like a rodeo sort of a thing. You you get on the bull and you you hang on, and you hope for the best. And luckily, uh, Ed Asner is a consummate professional and just an amazing dude, and gave us some great stories about the industry. Yes, fortunate enough to to talk to him for sure. Um, how we lucked into that, who knows? I think he was doing some press for something that was coming out at the time. He had a book uh, that was basically a biographical uh, son of a junk man, if memory mm, serves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 
you know, it's it was that was amazing. You know, we're we're big Star Trek geeks, mm-hmm. so the the third season we actually had a chance uh, to talk to Wilson Cruz, uh, who plays uh, Doctor Culber on Discovery. That was amazing. Um, Strapping gentleman. Right. Um, if you haven't seen his, uh, I want to say like Men's Fitness. I forget which magazine and covers that he's got. Yeah. Um, he must work out. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, you were talking about things changing. Well, the industry changed around that. Well, not around that time. It had been in the process of, mm-hmm. but there were a lot more different types of uh, things being made. And we had people that were involved with non-traditional um, storytelling on the show. Mm-hmm. We had some uh, some people. Gosh, what did they do? Well, we we ran into a group of people and we actually did a larger group discussion. That was fun. Um, but you had an individual discussion with Mary Kate Wiles as yeah. well. Yeah. She's been involved in so many fun things. If you, if you have any sort of an online presence or you, uh, watch things on YouTube, you've probably seen some of her stuff. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a, a geek for Star Trek and Star Wars just like us and mm-hmm. had that roundtable discussion with mm-hmm. uh, her and Jay Sandlin was involved with that. That's true. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, but we geek out a lot. I mean, you know, there are actors that we disagree on, but there's some actors that we just, we both love. Yes. And we had one episode uh, where you got me to watch a particular film uh, that I had not seen. I'd I'd seen the Stallone version. Mm. I am the law, but uh, yes. So uh, there have been some dread, Judge Dread things, and the actual Dread movie, which I think is very good. Um, we were coming into like the hot points of streaming at yeah. that point in time, but but really before that. That movie was hard to come by. It wasn't really, it wasn't really out in a lot of publications in terms of like you could go maybe buy it on uh, Blu-ray somewhere, but it really wasn't no. in the forefront for as good as I what I thought it was. And then what it showed up, I, I think at least for me on IFC, but then it showed up somewhere else where it was able to be streamed. So then we got to do that. Now, what we should do um, in the timing that we're recording this, Mr. Uh, Ray Stevenson, Stevenson just passed away a couple yes. days ago. Yes, he did. Uh, he did a Punisher movie that you have yet to see, I right? I still have not seen it. I mean, I've seen him as Volstag. Uh, I've seen him as a bunch of other stuff. Uh, he, he was in some Star Wars stuff recently. Recently. Um, not even <clears throat> aired yet. So actually, we, Tina Turner just died too. That that just happened today, and you know she's in a, a Mad Max movie that was kind of part of our growing up experience. Part of the lists that we do, the Mad right. Max movies showed up on those lists because we like to do lists. We like to review older things. We like to uh, give each other suggestions on stuff. And uh, that particular episode, we happened to talk about Carl Urban and dread Mm -hmm. but once again this was a time period when we were you know had a lot of time at home to watch things and i was kind of hooked on 
the World War II subject matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had H- I had an HBO. I still have HBO in terms of a streaming. I guess it's not even HBO anymore. Max. Right. Great suggestion and marketing for that one. But, uh, you know, like the Band of Brothers and Pacific series that were on there, I've probably watched way too many times. But I just kind of got hooked into World War II stuff. And we happened to have a discussion, uh, happened to know someone that we could have a discussion with who was a historian of sorts. Yeah. Talk a little bit about World War II from the perspective of somebody that actually knows something about it. Yes. (laughs) That was a lot of fun. That was was so much information, it took more than one episode to get through that. That's true. Um, Another one of those content creators who has a podcast and just dives into... Uh, unique, not unique, but like occurrences that were big deals, but aren't big deals today in terms of history and teaching. Right. Um, But inevitably, as interesting as that is, and as important and accurate and historical as it is, I will always, always bring things back to movies. (laughs) uh, Nothing wrong with that. We ended that season where we brought in an individual that played one of the key characters from one of the longest running sci-fi fantasy shows in recent memory uh, being Supernatural. We had on Mark Pellegrino who played Lucifer on that show. And that was amazing. I mean, the the dude is very, very much maybe not what you would expect uh, out of, out of somebody that plays that role, but, uh, or just an actor in general. Um, But, we had a really fun discussion, and he gives us just a little bit of his approach to trying. I mean, how do you play Lucifer? I mean, there's so many you know cheesy ways that it could possibly be done. So many ways it's been done over the years. So when you're tasked with playing that character, how do you do it? This is kind of what he had to say. Now, Supernatural, I was a series regular Quantico. Was I a series regular in Quantico? I don't remember if I was a series regular in Quantico, but uh, Supernatural, thank God, for two years or three years, I got to this series regular. (laughs) (laughs) So you've had time to live in the skin of characters, not just kind of be a a one-off. What is your favorite part of approaching the character process to kind of make it your own? Is there something that that really uh, that you do to kind of get into that mindset? Yeah, it's different for each each part. And that's what's that's what's fun is that um, the process is different for each each thing for Lucifer. um, You know, I would basically get in go into a trickster mode for a couple of weeks before I went to work and it drove my wife crazy because I just I'd I'd be sort of sadistically uh, playing practical jokes on her all the time and it it drove her nuts but that's sort of the impish thing that I brought to especially the latter uh, Lucifer the latter years Uh, and then when when he became Nick I decided to do uh, I, I do these journals these diaries uh, from the character's point of view that really helped me, um, really helped me sort of immerse myself into the uh, into the imaginary world of that of that character. 
Um, it's sort of like fantasy work. Some of it's very active, but a lot of it's just uh, writing and sort of embedding that experience in me and then forgetting it and letting it see, seeing where that homework is taking me is, is often pretty exciting too. Sometimes it goes nowhere. Sometimes it comes out in the most unusual places. And I, I remember when I did Bishop uh, for being human, I, you know, they told me that I was, that as a vampire, I was turned in 17th century England. Uh, and so I was like, cool. So I got um, uh, Daniel Defoe's Plague Years. And I, I read, I read all about London at that time. And I, I, I had written extensive diaries too, and knew where I was, what my profession was, where I lived, how the plague affected me and the great London fire and all that stuff. I, I, you know, and that, that might be stuff that Stanislavski jettisoned early on in his in his uh, you know experimentations with with working on roles, but I find it very Im immersive, you know, and it and it really helps me. Even it just help it just helps me believe, you know, it helps me believe. So yeah, each character is very different, and sometimes you know if you have a characterization that's very strong that can do a lot of the work for you. I remember Robert Duvall saying something about a character. He didn't find it until he wore the shoes, like literally during a fitting in the shoes there, it all came to life. Um, and, uh, and, and Rod Steiger, who was a friend of mine towards the end of his life would say very similar things, you know, bursts of inspiration can inform your whole character. I think when he was doing the loved ones, he was walking by a statue of Bacchus and he said, that's my character. And so he actually, had his hair made up the same way and he emulated that that piece of art through the entire piece and if you're looking for that you can see it that's cool um so yeah so it's you know it's different for each thing and sometimes it's just a flash of it sometimes it's a picture you know and that does it for you yes that discussion finished off our season three really strong yes and then what happened for the next week in season four uh, another strong push with another visit from Dean Devlin, uh, primarily talking about leverage redemption, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Um, so, hey, we got a chance to talk to him twice about stuff. I'll talk to him as many times as he wants to talk to me. That dude's super interesting. But then, as we progressed through the season, um, got the opportunity to speak to someone we've already we've already discussed this in terms of uh you know real genius right mm -hmm. um and dean devlin but who did you get to talk to i about wet myself uh when i got the opportunity to have the amazing gabriel jarrett on the show in that film opposite of val kilmer he was the other lead and so he's been in the industry, and obviously that's not his only credit. He's been in a bunch of stuff. For all of you Cobra Kai fans that watched the original um, movies, uh, if you remember the third Karate Kid film, when Danielson gets all full of himself with bad training and punches a dude out and bloodies his nose, that's Gabriel Jarrett. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really kind of a, a fun thing. I'm trying to collect collect the entire set. I, I've, I've had other people involved uh, that we haven't mentioned that we won't get into because we just have a limited time on this episode. But uh, I'll tell you what, there was no way I wasn't going to ask him a little bit about what it was like to be involved with Real Genius and work with somebody as 
I don't want to say eccentric, but individual as Val Kilmer. Tell me, uh, there was a, I'm, I'm sure there was a, a casting call or, or something for, for the part that you got. I know I, I talked to, I think, uh, I think I talked to Dean Devlin and he mm. was, uh, uh, involved in that project as well. And yeah, he was, and, uh, and everything he said about it, it seems like, man, it was, I get, I get different kind of perspectives from, from how things went. How did getting into this work for you? Uh, to, to real genius specifically? Absolutely. It was about as boilerplate and standard as you could possibly imagine for me. <laughs> it went from audition to callback to callback to, um, uh, what is it called? Um, a, a test shoot. Uh, um, wow. I blanked on the term screen test. Thank you. Wow, what the heck is wrong with me? Anyway, so yes, yeah, so just to to um, uh, to a screen test that uh, they had. It wasn't just me. There was um, there was about seven or eight people that they that they uh, that they screen tested, and I was one. I ended up getting it. I mean, um, it was about as standard as the, the only thing that wasn't standard is, is the reason I got the part. The reason I got the part is because, and I I. I, I have this strange feeling that they all planned it. It wasn't just Val, but it was because Val Kilmer um, specifically threw curveballs at everybody. Uh, he started making stuff up. Now you, you and I just talked about what, yeah. <laughs> about about stuff that's in rehearsal and stuff that you're prepared for, and then all of a sudden, then something comes in, and actors are you know that, that's gold for an actor. Well, that's the approach that i take um with how i work that's not how everybody looks at it a lot of people want to rehearse it <laughs> so it's rote and into the ground and they know exactly what's coming their and they can execute their choices and they're and there's some really good at it i'm did you know on you forever whatever works for you fantastic but <laughs> for me for me i'm i'm a little I mean, I really kind of enjoy what comes out um, unexpectedly and naturally. Um, I, I, I look at my work and I, and I find that the, the moments that I tend to really, really do well, where I'm just like, damn, I can do this, almost always come out of a moment that I am not expecting. Which says a lot about my process and how I plan to see things and how they come out. You know, it's like, it sounds maybe like life to not, me. Yeah, they're not really as great as the moments that I just am reacting. So um, that being said, I think I think that's how I got the part. Because uh, Val came up with that that whole. Uh, the, you remember the scene where he's like, uh, "Take a step forward, take a step back." Absolutely. Wasn't in the script. I, I kind of wondered I mean, about it, it that. Made it there, but. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was interesting. Uh, that was towards the end of the season. That was episode thirty-four. Um, We've skipped a lot. We had we've had so many actors and producers and directors and uh, models and uh, just like podcasters and artists and just interesting people on. So like I said, we're skipping some great stuff. But if you ever get a chance to go back, these are great conversations. But ultimately, we're just we're geeks, and uh, it was really hard. But we. We had to decide what was some of the things that maybe impacted at least me. 
I mean, there's 250 episodes. <laughs> right. That we, we can't have we, we can't mention every single one of them. It's right. It's just impossible. I mean, we've already got this history between us. Can you imagine working with somebody? I mean, we've been doing this five years. Mm-hmm. Work with somebody multiple times over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I mean, you'd have to be some kind of kind of semi-legendary acting duo. Right. Well, we had one of those on the show. Yes. <laughs> we had Stuart Pank and, and Peter Jason that were on at the very end of the fourth season. Uh, these guys have been in so many films and been in the same films together on multiple occasions. I know. Were you an arachnophobia fan? I can't remember. I enjoy the movie, although it's not one that I revisit, let's say. But I have seen it a few times. I don't mind spiders. Yeah. Well, it's a fun one where they were both in it. But uh, (laughs) it's just kind of one of those things. It's just they're innately funny people. And if you've ever had the chance to go to a convention and listen to somebody talk, you kind of get an idea of what their personalities are. But if you just watch the shows, watch the movies, sometimes it's hard to get an idea of how much of the personality of the person comes through into the role, how much of that relationship sometimes comes through. And I'll tell you what, watch this segment here and you can kind of get an idea of just kind of what it was like for them to be able to work together and just know each other and support each other over the years. You know, Peter and I, yeah, we met in that picture and I realized that, you know, how great Peter was. And he was actually, uh, we worked with Jeremy Lanny, who was the director of Deep in the Forest. At least, Peter's done more than I have, but we've done at least three other movies with Jeremy Lanny, maybe two. Uh, Peter's done a bunch. I've done two with, with Peter. And uh, th- and those are smaller movies. Arachnophobia was obviously, you know, a, a bigger movie. But uh, Peter's been in my life and he's been in my son's life. He was my son's special friend uh, once when his grandmother uh, couldn't make it. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that that's the way we've been for the last 30 years. That's, we that... built a playhouse in his backyard. For his my son, son needed a play. My son, I wanted to get by my son a playhouse. And Peter was over dinner says, what are you talking about? Uh, buying. <laughs> Big bonding moment, big bonding moment, because... Uh, we built a playhouse. I mean, Peter's a great carpenter. And he went out and he got all the wood and... and, and he had never had a hammer in his hand. <laughs> well, I've had... No, I don't want to go there. But no, I haven't but, uh, really had a hammer in my hand. He had all the brand new equipment, the vest and the and the belt and the hammer and the chisel and the nails. And the, he had it all brand spanking to wear. Looked fantastic. I think I came in my shorts and a t t-shirt or something, and uh, was was using a coffee cup to pound stuff in. Uh, Peter said, "My first guy, he says, let's get dressed." And I said, "Let's get dressed." He said, "Put on your your belt, your tool belt. That's what I mean by let's get dressed." <laughs> He's been doing it for years. He's great. He's great. Uh, and we built a gorgeous house, a gorgeous beautiful house, house. Backyard. beautiful beautiful uh, playhouse in the backyard. Yeah, it was great. Like I said, we just had so many people that came in. Uh, this past season was really good. We had uh, we had Jaden Kane come in, and if you don't know that name, he had a prominent role in the Luke Cage um, series that was on Netflix. He's uh, been in a, a, a vampire-based television show, you know, sort of thing. Uh, so he's he's well known. Um, we had um, 
uh, Sumali Montano stop in, did voice acting for some of our favorite games like Fallout 4 and things like that, mm-hmm. and a bunch of television stuff. Actually had a character named Pudding. Um, but uh, let's leave you with just a couple more snippets. We'll, we'll, we'll introduce this as, as a group. Um, we've got two that I wanted to mention out of this season that are just particularly good. One, um, the, the amazing Janet Varney, voice actress, uh, that was involved with the sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender called The Legend of Korra. She voiced the lead role, but she's been involved in a ton of other stuff too. She's super funny, does stand-up, uh, improv, uh, and it's just she's she does great stuff. Um, and she talks a little bit uh, about what it was uh, like to voice the character and some of the reactions. Um and you, you know, the, the, the funny thing I remember about that is when we did that interview, um, I was watching, I was going through the episodes of How I Met Your Mother, right. and I happened to watch the episode where she shows up as, like, the one <laughs> person with more screen time than the rest of the main characters. Like, it just odd coincidence in timing, and I didn't even know that she was in any of those episodes. I was like... I had to do a double take. It's like, is that Janet Varney? Of course, look it up. It is Janet Varney. It, it, it is. And uh, and just take a listen to the enthusiasm that she has for the work that she does. And I think that's that's telling in and of itself. There's a lot of trust that has to happen, you know, because I don't necessarily, I don't know as much as they do about the vision and arc of the whole thing. Uh, but I still have to perform it in a way that feels authentic and real to that moment. And with Nyreen, it was funny. I remember Carol Caroline Livingston, who uh, directed me on that. And I just remember that one of the first things she said was she's like, okay, this is the first female Turian in this world. People are going to go wild over this. So <laughs> I, and I think she, she said it in a way that was like, this is really exciting. And all I could hear was, Oh my God, I better do a great job. <laughs> oh, the pressure, the pressure. <laughs> oh. But she was great. And in that, in that, that, in that session, they had, I'm, I play opposite Carrie Ann Moss, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you've got, uh, your character is in a relationship with like a cornerstone secondary character yeah. in, in Mass Effect 3 uh, that, yeah. that runs the Omega, uh, space station basically ruthlessly and you, you know you were two people right. that were together and then then we're not all of a sudden and it's in the middle of the war and you've got to deal with relationship issues while fighting you know evil aliens and things like that yeah in in this case it doesn't always happen but in video games and this one i remember they had her lines so i could actually play off of her lines probably 90% of the time I don't get that. You know, you 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 have to hear it in your mind. And sometimes I'll ask, oh, hey, who who's the voice actor that, uh, you know, that voices this character? Because I there's chances are I might know them and so that I can at least have an idea of how it sounds, you know, being said and how I can hear it in my mind's ear and then respond to it uh, appropriately. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Who would you say is... Uh somebody you were most surprised to get the chance to work with on a a show, whether it be an actor, a director, uh, a a writer uh, that, that you never thought you would have a chance. Is there anybody that you just kind of managed to be on 
a project with and it's like, man, this is like kind of a dream come true or, or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, that happens to me all the time. Um, I'm always, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm always so excited. Uh, there I have, I'm a big fan. I'm a fan girl. You know, I'm a person who is a fan of movies and TV and, um, and pay attention and pay a lot of attention to it as a, as a younger person. So I constantly feel that way for sure. Legend of Korra was like that. I mean, that was, that was like a parade of, you know, people I never, like, I never thought I'd get to work with Clancy Brown. I never thought I would get to work with, like, Henry Rollins. I never thought I would get to work with J.K. Simmons. I never thought I would get to work. I mean, I, that list just, it, it will never end. Like, there's, it's a never-ending list of people who would come in for a day or who would be regular characters that I just felt so incredibly lucky to be alongside. That would be really cool. I'd, I'd love to at some point work with Henry Rollins, but I couldn't believe anything he said, so I don't know how well that would go. <laughs> that is a, uh, for our listeners that are uh, younger than myself, that is a music joke. Uh, take uh-huh. a look at music the, yep, <laughs> take mm-hmm. a look back at the uh, the Henry Rollins music collection. You'll, you'll eventually uh-huh. get it. Uh, but, uh, so when you're preparing for this role, I mean, you've got the lead. This is the whole the weight of the series is on your shoulders. Uh, to, Luckily, to... I never thought of it that way, or I would have been crushed <laughs> under my own insecurity. Right, uh-huh. but you know, yeah. that, taking the 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 series that after an extremely popular and successful Avatar, the last Airbender, what 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 do you felt was the thing that you did that best helps you prepare for the role? Oh gosh! I mean, it, just read the script. I mean that the scripts were so good. Um, there, there just wasn't a whole lot to worry about other than other than reading the script and knowing what's happening and coming in prepared. Um, but you know, I I can't say that like I'm not a method actor. There are people who have you know their the things that they do um, to get certain places. Um, I I think, and then there are other actors who you know to a fault have no problem accessing certain things and that's probably more the category I fall into uh but um so yeah I mean for that really it was just like whatever's on the page is so alive that you know I don't feel like I'm doing anything but honoring it I don't feel like I'm you know um enhancing it even necessarily just like doing you know doing the work and um and the writing took care of the rest and then they animated in your it's magic you know pretty amazing right the the fact that they do so uh, the volume and we've talked with a few voice actors and actresses throughout the years and if you look at the credits of the ones that we've spoken to it's enormous yeah and how they can have the same voice and yet not and be unique for each character is just a great way to make money i wish i could do that just go <laughs> Talking to a microphone for eight hours a couple days a week and make, yeah, it'd be great. But they're excellent at what they do. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And we're still having more people that have come in since that. I mean, she was the 21st episode, so that's half a season ago. We just had Griff First in here not too long ago, uh, whose father uh, was in the uh, amazing show Babylon 5 before that was in Animal House. And he's had a storied career in Hollywood himself just – being able to act and produce, that was an amazing conversation. Uh, I felt lucky enough to be involved with the the press junket release for uh, Leverage Redemption's uh, 
newest season to date. They they still haven't come out with their newest one yet. Yes, Leverage Redemption uh, Season 2. That's correct. Um, on freebie through yeah. Amazon. Now, that those you will not find on our um, Apple or our um, normal channels, the audio only. That one is on YouTube, though. All of the interviews that we did with uh, the cast members involved uh, with that are up online for you to be able to see anytime you want. And, it, and it's good stuff. And we hope to be able to keep bringing you just the best stuff. We've got some things on on tap. we got some interesting people coming up. We're going to continue dealing with historical uh, comic-related issues, more top ten lists. Yeah, we totally forgot about that. We've spent seasons going through the history of comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Now we're in the middle of doing uh, TV shows. And anim- animated uh, movies, TV shows, basically the things that were on a screen that we didn't cover in the movie section. Exactly. For the most part. Exactly. And it's it's admittedly it's a list. That's long. And if you're historically minded, it's very interesting. I'll admit it's not going to be for everybody because it can be a little dry. I I will be completely honest because we're not showing you anything <laughs> due to uh, not wanting to be sued into the ground. Yes, uh, for not making any money and putting your content on the screen so other people could see and know about it. No, like you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny how that goes. Now, down the road, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to produce something a little more polished, a little more in-depth. But mm-hmm. uh, that will be kind of up to you. The thing that we're going to leave you with is something that we haven't mentioned in an episode in a while. We we often did it in every episode. We would talk about how you could get a hold of us on social media or whatever else. But we don't really like doing commercials in our um, episodes. We try our best not to include anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we do need support. So uh, we haven't had, uh, we've, you know, we've, we've had some avenue support, but the public support, that's what we want. We want a groundswell. We want you to see this episode. And we want you to enjoy it. And we want you to tell your friends about it. But support us. We're cheap to support. We're, we're, we want to keep things affordable because nowadays everything else gets more expensive. You can support us for $1 a month on Patreon. Just one. One. We, we like to keep it easy. But in order to make that work, we need a lot of ones. So, like I said, tell your friends. Tell your friends to tell their friends. And uh, we'll keep bringing you really interesting people to talk uh, to and interesting information to bring to you and just keep on keeping on. It's true. Everybody loves pudding. 